The Real Estate Sessions is sponsored by AdWorks. AdWorks makes digital advertising brilliantly simple. Choose your zip code and build your brand. Enter an address and promote your listings. Or upload your list and stay top of mind with your sphere of influence. And if you go to adworks.com slash billrisser, you'll do more than just build brand awareness or nurture your network. Right now, you get to save 15% off your purchase, and I get to send 10% to the Colon Cancer Alliance, an organization that means a great deal to me. That's www.adworks.com slash billrisser. Technology is going to continue to change. Education is continuing to push you out of your comfort zone. Your clients are going to change at a rate that's probably faster than what you're going to change at. As soon as you get comfortable with something, things will change. But I'm going to help you adapt. And, um, and that's really been what I, I, I hope that, I, you know, at the end of my life that I'm known for is that I just really, I just really love the people that I have the privilege of serving. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions and join industry leaders as they share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Chicago Title, Arizona. Welcome to episode 67. My guest this week hails from the Great White North. It's Valerie Garcia, Director of Training at Remax Integra in Toronto, Ontario. I had the pleasure of meeting Valerie through the Inman Ambassador Program and I've closely followed her since then. She's smart, opinionated, and most importantly, willing to share those opinions. So I highly recommend listeners follow her as well. Valerie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So I know that uh, you currently live up near Toronto. Uh, Is that where you were born and raised? No, actually, I grew up in rural Michigan. Uh, I lived on a farm, very large family. I had 14 brothers and sisters. Uh, Yeah. That's ten sisters and four brothers. Wow. Yeah, I know. No twins. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, it was a great. Uh, it was a great childhood. Got the typical Midwest upbringing. You know, really had fields and, and cornfields and woods behind the house, and could spend all of our days when we weren't at school out having a real childhood, and it was a fantastic way to grow up. Um, yeah, that's that's basically how I grew up, and then and I. Um, Actually, after school, I, I married a Canadian and emigrated to Canada and uh, ha- eventually became Canadian. So um, as of next week, I think it'll be seven years since I became Canadian. And so I'm a very proud dual citizen at this point of both Canada and the U.S. Wow. So let's let's talk about growing up. In, first of all, Michigan, um, is a. there's lots of different parts of Michigan. Where were you in Michigan? Were you kind of way up north? Were you kind of more towards uh, Grand Rapids? Where were you? No, I was in the middle of the southern um, southern part. So I was about an hour and a bit north of Grand Rapids. Okay. So, I mean, if you're from Michigan, basically you show your hand like a mitten and you point yeah. on your hand where you're from. And if you're looking at your left hand, I'm basically from where your ring finger, your ring would be on your ring finger. Okay. Um, yeah. So. That definitely proves you're a Michigander when you pulled that out. So that's that's Absolutely. pretty good. <laughs> Pull out the hands. That's how, how you know. <laughs> right. So you know, you kind of uh, you briefly touched on it that you're uh, after school. You got married to a Canadian. But let's talk about school for you. I, uh, you you didn't go to school in the United States or Canada, did you? When I talk about university. Yeah, my post secondary, um, I did a year in Hungary, 
um, I ended up doing a year of art history uh, and I ended up being in Hungary which is where I was placed through um, an exchange program. It wasn't my first choice in all honesty. I, I got to fill out a, a, a sheet of 20 countries and I numbered them from 1 to 20 in order of my preference. And funnily enough, where I really wanted to be was Africa. I really wanted to be in South Africa or Zimbabwe, and I wanted to study the art of that region. And I didn't end up getting placed there. Um, when I got my paperwork, I opened the envelope, and they said, you're going to a city called Page, Hungary. And I literally did not know where it was. I had no idea. I had to pull out a map. And I think most people probably wouldn't be able to point Hungary out on a map, in all honesty. Right. Um, and so I ended up going there. And uh, it was a fantastic, fantastic 12 months. Um, ended up seeing a lot of, of Western European and Eastern European culture in that part of the world. You kind of get both. Um, this was the um, early 90s. And so I was just there about four years after the fall of communism in that country. Wow. Um, the Bosnia-Herzegovina war was, was raging pretty hardcore at that time. Um, from my balcony... Uh, in my um, dorm, I could see lights from the bombs um, from the Bosnia-Herzegovina uh, war in the evening. So that was from a Midwest upbringing where I basically had never been on a subway, had never been to a major city. To go and live in a city in a formerly third world country that had just broken free from communism was a really eye-opening experience. I would say that it was definitely life-changing. Um, when I wasn't in school, uh, friends and I would backpack all over Europe, saw a lot of a lot of different lifestyles and peoples and cultures and I think it really inspired me for what I what I do now, which is I'm curious about the world and I would say that I'm a citizen of the world rather than just the US or Canada. And it's it's interesting because a lot of people at my age, especially in the early nineties, didn't get that opportunity. They didn't get the opportunity to go and see different parts of the world and it, it definitely changed the way that I, I view people, for sure. You just recently attended an event in Italy, right? I did. I did. The um, Remax Integra, the organization that I work for, we represent about 30% of Remax worldwide. And we have um, all of the franchises in uh, Europe and the Middle East. And so um, on an annual basis, they go and speak at their European convention. And this year it was in Italy. So that was a lot of fun. So it allows you to continue that world traveling that uh, is so kind of, I'm sure, part of your who you are now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I hadn't been in Italy for about 20 years, and uh, everything is a lot smaller than I remember. But what's really fun about going to Europe especially is that they do real estate so differently. It's um, Some people will tell you that they are backwards, that they do it um that they, they haven't caught up yet, but I just think that they do it the way that they know how to do it, and um, for them it works. And so I think we can learn a lot from folks who do real estate differently than we do. Speaking of the world, as I listened to your, your education, and you had this obviously a passion for art all around the world, how does the world of real estate show up on your radar? It wasn't something that ever really occurred to me. Um, yeah, I moved back from Hungary and I needed to get a job. I ended up answering phones at a Century 21 office. Um, 
I had I had some secretarial secretarial experience in the past, and I needed a job quickly, and so I just ended up taking a position answering phones in a small Century 21 office. There were it was myself and 45 men. Not a single woman worked in the office at that time, which was pretty funny, and. Uh, and it was something that I was going to do temporarily. I was going to work there for a short period of time until I found a position or until I decided to go back to school. Uh, I just wasn't really sure what I was going to do with my life. Um, and then I just kind of fell in love with it. My dad was a was a custom home builder all of my life, and so I had been on job sites and around, um, you know, builders. And I was very familiar with residential. Um, home building, but the real estate side of it had never really come into play. And I think what really kept me there is I, I worked for a broker named Tom Kuiper who was and remains to this day, 20 years later, one of the very best mentors that I've ever had in my life. He was, um, he was just an amazing broker. He, he had a real passion for education, which is, I really think where I, um, where I got a lot of the passion that I have for real estate education. And he really gave me the opportunity to do whatever I was good at. Um, he press, pushed me to explore what parts of um, the real estate industry that really interested me. Um, he owned a title company. He, um, you know, we had a mortgage office in the building. Um, he, he encouraged me to get involved in some of that and the numbers. But where I really, really enjoyed coming to work every day was educating the new agents. And Tom was fabulous at that. He was such a great role model. He would really embrace the new agents and sit down with them and explain things to them and help them to understand the process and help them to understand that it wasn't always going to be easy. It was going to be hard work. And I just kind of watched that process and over the next couple of years just really fell in love with education. Um, and so when I, when I left that office uh, after five years to, to emigrate to Canada, I really wanted to to continue that process. I wanted to work for an organization that really allowed me to continue to build people and um, and have a have a hand in helping people succeed. And I think that's really where it started. So, you know, I guess I kind of did start from answering the phones. Now when you move up to Canada, you did you is that when you started with Royal LePage? Yeah, took a job with Royal LePage in Toronto, um, ended up working for a couple of different franchises in Toronto over the next couple of years. Royal Page was an interesting animal. I wouldn't say that it was, um, you know, some of the better years of my um, my career in terms of enjoying working there. I would say that I have a very um, at odds philosophy with their education plan, but it, it did allow me to work in some different, um, just some different situations and different cultures. I had I had always been in the Midwest, really, um, in terms of my career, and I, you know, even having have traveled Europe for for a while, moving to Toronto was a was a pretty huge cultural shock. I was working in an office at Royal LePage that had 150 agents in it, and I think overall they spoke 62 languages. So moving into such a multicultural environment was it was extremely different for me. There were lots of different viewpoints on how things should be done or shouldn't be done, and and education was kind of viewed as a, you know. It was just, hey, I need to get my CE credits, and and that's what I'm here for. And um, I think that was at the point where I realized, you know, real estate education really needs a revamp. It really needs somebody who will champion it and say, you shouldn't be just educating yourself for CE credits. I call that panic education. 
Like if you're just getting credits because you have to keep your license, you're obviously not valuing your professional growth. And so I think those were a couple of real eye-opening years for me in terms of just the, the culture around education in our industry. We're going to talk a lot about as we after we you, we're you're not done traveling the world. So once we finish no. with that, we're gonna I want, we'll spend some time on on education, the way you view it. Which uh, I'm, I'm like I said, I love following what you what you do. But you're not done moving around the world. I think right somewhere um, after the Royal LePage uh, opportunity or stint, you end up in Australia. So how does yeah. that come about? Well, you know, it's actually really funny. Um, I've been at Royal LePage for several years and um, things had just kind of progressed to a point where I wasn't really growing my career and um, my husband was in the same situation. You know, He had been doing the same kind of work for several years and one day we just looked at each other and said, you know, I think we're both really looking for something different. I'm, I'm ready. I said, I'm ready for a change. I'm ready to look elsewhere and he said, I'm feeling the same way and I said, well, you know, if we're going to make a move if we're both going to look for a different job at the same time you know the world is a really big place and why not just really like go big or go home let's look everywhere and um, and so we started you know we started kind of combing the internet for job opportunities and job opportunities in the same place and where that might take us we um, we seriously considered moving back to the US at that point we were talking we're talking 2000 and um, the end of 2006, the beginning of 2007, and um, we were, you know, really wide open in terms of where we wanted to be. And one day, it was funny. He came home and he said, "Hey, you know, I found a job opportunity today that looks really interesting, but it's it might be a little bit far." And I said, "Well, bring it. What what have you got?" And he said, "What do you think about Australia?" And I said, "Let's do it." I didn't even stop and think about it, like I'd never been there, I, I just didn't know anything about what it would take to move there, and he said, well, you know, do you mean that? I said, absolutely, why not, let's let's see what happens, and um, and funnily enough, it's totally ironically, three, three weeks later, he was on a plane, and he had been um, given a job offer, and he accepted it, and he was on a plane, and I was, uh, I stayed back for a month, and we you know, put everything in storage, and I quit my job and moved to Australia, and I had absolutely no job uh, opportunities or prospects there that I knew of, and just showed up with a couple of suitcases and said, we're going to see how this goes, um, which, you know, it's, you can do that, and I guess, if you're brave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, among other things, right? That's, that's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I got there, and I thought, I think this is a really good opportunity for me to try doing real estate differently. They do real estate so differently in Australia and um, and not, not in a bad way, like in a really fun way. When I tell people that as a listing agent in Australia, you get a listing, you market it for four weeks, and then you have an auctioneer that stands in the street and auctions that property off to the highest bidder, people just look at me like I'm crazy. But that's, you know, that's how they do it. And it, and it was just, it was so different. Marketing comes so much more into play. The way that you negotiate comes more into play. And I was working in a really, really boutique agency down there um, where I landed was um, a boutique agency that specialized in million dollar houses on the ocean, which was a totally different change for me. 
and it was just a lot of fun. But what was most fun about that role was they really wanted to build education. They really felt passionately about putting a university type of training into their repertoire and having their agents go through rigorous training because they don't they don't offer in Australia they don't offer as much in terms of pre-licensing courses as we do here in North America and so a lot of the education would come afterwards and so I really had the opportunity to grow the idea of things like but again we're talking 2007, 8 and 9 so you're talking the dawn of social media use for social, for uh, for real estate and we started blogs and Facebook pages and um, and learning management systems and we built CRMs from scratch to integrate and it was just a lot of fun to really get in there and build a project from scratch and I had just really some of the best years of, of my career there and I was there four years. And then you end up coming back to the States or the, um, to North America actually and you end up, you start your career with Remax Integra in 2011, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I came back in 2011. Um, okay. Our four-year contract in Australia was up. We had spent four years living in Sydney, which was just a beautiful, amazing experience. And um, our contract was up. And during the, fun fact, during the four years that I lived there, I ended up doing the round-trip um, flight back to see family and spend time with family 15 times. So I spent a lot of time in the air. And it just, I know, right? Huh. Um, it just, it, it was it was a lot of travel and there was this idea of okay if you know we're gonna make this work this is gonna be forever and is that really what we want to be spending our time doing as we have vacation sitting in the air for 60 hours and um, so we ultimately made the decision that if if I could find a job that I was passionate about that we would move back and um, because at this point I was saying I, I if I'm not gonna find a real estate company or organization that's really forward-thinking about education um, I, I'm not interested that's that's where I am in my career and I had followed my husband to Australia for his job and you know we were at the point where he said look you know it's your turn so whatever you decide wherever you want to go as long as you can find something that kind of fills your bucket so I started to look and um, I saw that Remax Integra was um, was searching for someone to start a training program and, and literally that's all the ad said was we're looking for someone to to build a training program within our organization here in Toronto and so I emailed them and I said look you know you don't know me this is my history I would love to talk to you about the role this sounds like exactly what I'm looking for and I'm looking to um, relocate back to Canada um, and so we were you know on a 16-hour time difference and the next night overnight I woke up the next morning and I had an email from them that said let's set up an interview when can we talk and so we went back and forth via email for a day or two and then I got up at 2.30 in the morning to have a phone call with the folks here in Toronto and we had a chat about what they want to build and what I built in my career and where I had been and what kinds of things that they were excited about and um, two nights later I got up at 2 o'clock in the morning and had another call and uh, they offered me a job and uh, We'd never met. I had never seen them face to face. They said, you know, we think that this is the the perfect project and we think that you're the right person to do it. And so once again, four weeks later, I was on a plane and uh, got off the plane, had nowhere to live. We didn't uh, have any accommodation organized. I lived in a hotel for the first couple of days. 
and uh, and started working for Remax, and that was five years ago this fall. Talk about your current role with them as director of training, and like first of all, you mentioned earlier, it's a massive organization, right? Yes. Yeah. It so is. talk about what you do on it. Like, what's a what's a day like for Valerie? <laughs> <laughs> well, if there was a typical day, that would be awesome. <laughs> So we are a big organization. We're, we represent about 30% of Remax worldwide. We are 17,000 agents and brokers in North America and another 17-ish, 18,000 in Europe and the Middle East. Um, so over 30,000 agents strong. Um, we're a very we're an independently owned region. We're family owned. Um, a lot of people don't know that about us. We 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 are not part of the um, group that has gone public. So we are still very independently and family run. You know, I've had such a a wonderful blessing being able to work for this organization in that they have really said go and do what you think needs to be done to build education here and I've had really you know an, just an open book in terms of what I'm allowed to do and create and so on a regular basis um, you know in a nutshell I create all of the different training curriculum and planning that is pushed out to predominantly our 17,000 folks in North America. Um, I come up with and facilitate all of our um, all of our education pieces that go out on an annual basis, whether that be webinars or handouts or video um, pieces, uh, in-person training. We do several hundred of those a year in groups in all of our brokerages around North America. Um, I manage a team of trainers that go out and present that material um, I'm very much the face of education, so people come to me and, and are uh, asking me questions about you know, what tools they should use. I consult with our brokers in terms of how to roll out training in their offices. Um, I do a lot of coordination with our events in terms of bringing in our keynote speakers or our breakout speakers for all of our events. I oversee all of our budgets and calendars and content plans for the year and overall just kind of put a um, plan together of what should education look like on an annual basis and how do we facilitate that to all the different people and the different ways that they learn. So that's kind of an over, oversimplified explanation. It's, it's a lot of work, um, but it's very rewarding. If I wanted to choose the focus of your training, like the, 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 the main theme of your training, it seems like the word that comes to my mind is relationships. Am I close on that? Absolutely. Yeah. Talk, talk Absolutely. about that a little bit. Well, you know, I think this is something that kind of goes all the way back to those early days at the front desk um, of Century 21. Um, you know, I've always been, anyone who knows me, this is this next statement is not going to come as a surprise, but I've always been a very sarcastic person. People who love me and know me say it's, you know, snarky and endearing, but I'm a bit, a bit sarcastic, and I think that just kind of comes with the territory when you come from a big family. and. Um, when I started working at the front desk at, at the you know very young age of 19, I was I was extremely snarky and, and sarcastic. And I remember a day when my my broker um, unveiled you know the latest and greatest technology in our company, which was a fax machine. And uh, you know people freaked out a little bit, especially some of the older agents, and they weren't sure how they were going to use this technology and if they're clients were going to embrace it and it was a little bit scary for them and you know, I remember seeing that fear in them and instead of um, instead of meeting meeting that fear with empathy I kind of met it with a bit of sarcasm 
And I remember a day when um, a broker, I still very, very clearly remember the day, his name was Eric, he came in and he said, can you fax this for me? And he was standing right next to the fax machine and he was looking at me and he said, can you fax this for me? And I, and I looked at him and not a proud moment in my life and I looked at him and I said, um, what are your fingers broken? And I just, you know, I know, right? Now you hear that and you just have this sudden like, oh. And um, and Tom, my broker, was standing right there and he was like, Val, in my office right now. Went in his office and he closed the door and he sat me down and he looked at me in the eye and he said, you cannot talk to people that way. Um, he said, you know, these people, and this is a lesson that he taught me that I will never, ever forget. He said, these people, these agents, they walk around here every day scared. Every day they walk around here afraid that they're not going to get that next deal. They're not going to close that client. They're not going to understand the technology. They're not going to get that paycheck. Their paychecks are not guaranteed like yours are. And he said, Val, you on a good day probably make more on, an, on a daily basis than, than some of the people in this office. He says, you, you need to recognize and meet them where they're at in terms of empathy and understanding that that fear is real. And so when they ask you for help, you need to say, I'm, I'm here, whatever you need, that's what I'm here for. That, that was a defining moment for me, just in terms of just my career, but also as a person, was everybody walks around afraid all the time. And as I you know, progressed in my career and really got more into education, I realized that it's absolutely true, all of us, not just those who are selling agents, but everybody, everybody in this world walks around afraid a lot of the time. And, um, and meeting people where they're at and, and being able to say, I hear you, I feel you, I understand you, I understand where you're coming from, let me help you, has been the cornerstone of just who I am and what's brought me to where I am. And so relationships is a, is a really nice way to kind of package that. For me, it's always just been about putting my arms around my people and holding them and loving them and saying, we're going to get through this. We may not have all the answers. Technology is going to continue to change. Education is continuing to push you out of your comfort zone. Your clients are going to change at a rate that's probably faster than what you're going to change at. As soon as you get comfortable with something, things will change, but I'm going to help you adapt. And, um, and that's really been what I, I, I hope that, I, you know, at the end of my life that I'm known for is that I just, really, I just really love the people that I have the privilege of serving. Now, you, you mentioned the snarky. <laughs> and not, not trying to shine, like, I, I, first of all, when it comes to the relationship side of things, it's, it, you exude that, um, your persona online. When I've seen you at Inman events, it's obvious that it's a big part of who you are. Yet, you still have retained that ability to speak your mind and not really shy away from a debate, right? Yeah. And so in this you know, PC played safe world, is that something you have to be careful with or how do you handle that part of it? Well, you know, it is funny. I, my mom said to me like a, a year or so ago, she said, isn't it amazing that you found somebody that that pays you to get on stage and be sarcastic? And I said, I know, right? It's a dream come true. I think, you know, what it is is that I think that if you really um, if you really do care about the people that you're talking to, I think you actually can maybe get away with pushing the envelope sometimes. There is definitely a line, and, and I know that. Um, 
but I think that I've gotten really good at the smile and the wink and um, I don't always do it right. Sometimes I do make mistakes and I overstep and I say things that I think, oh, oh come on, you're better than this. But I do like to, I do like to, to speak my mind and I think one of the big reasons why I do that is because every time that I go outside my comfort zone and I say something that I think, you know, this is going to be uncomfortable for some people, but I'm going to say it with love. Um, the return on that is always, and not just sometimes, but always um, amazing in that somebody reaches out to me privately or publicly and says, thank you for saying that. That's something that I feel as well, and I've been struggling with it, or I was scared to say it, or, you know, I've had a hard time um, putting that into words, and so I appreciate you. And I've just found, in just through, especially the last couple of years of my life, as I've gone through things personally and and um, and professionally, that people really do gravitate towards truth tellers, and we tend to not be truth tellers so much as adults because we are scared of what other people are going to think, and so. You know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm politically correct. I tend to um, you know, kind of s stay away from that kind of stuff. But I definitely do push the envelope in terms of, hey, you know what? Like, this is a topic that we're not talking about because it's uncomfortable. Let's find a way to laugh about it, and then maybe that can bring something to the surface. So I'm definitely not shy about debating. I absolutely love having a, an intelligent argument with somebody. If I can find somebody who will sit down and not resort to name calling or, or, you know, stupid snarky comments, but have really intelligent snarky comments and want to have a conversation about something and that there's meat to it. I could do that for hours. I really, really enjoy hearing other people's point of view. And, um, and so I, I don't shy away from the debate, but I really think there is some really good value to truth telling. And I don't think that we do enough of it in this world. I read a quote once, and I wish I could remember it exactly or who said it, but it was something like, you know, if, if you if you allow others to be who they are, you know, amazing things will happen because as you tell your truth, they become free to tell their truth. And I find that a lot of us, especially in education, shy away from telling the truth because it's hard. But when it gets out there, it gets less hard, and more people feel like, okay, we can do this. You know, there are a lot more avenues out there today to have discussions, one of them being, you know, real estate focused groups on social. Mm -hmm. Are you ever able to have those kinds of conversations there? Do you, do you find these groups to be a help or a hindrance? Oh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I think there are some groups out there that do this well. Um, and I think the groups that do that well have a particular focus and they are moderated uh, stringently. So there are people that have said this group was created for this purpose, not to get as many users as possible and not to get as many uh, voices as possible and not to complain or um, bash other people or brands or, or methodologies, but this group is for a specific purpose and we are going to stick to this purpose and if you go offline or um, out of bounds or you say something or post something that's not within you know, the purpose of this group, you're done, you're out, your, your stuff is deleted. And that seems a bit um, heavy-handed, but that's when it works, when there are some guidelines. I think the groups that I, I think I find to be a hindrance are those 
um, are those groups that have just kind of grown so big that there is no focus, there's no moderation, everybody just um, uses them as soapboxes and places to complain. I tend to avoid those. Um, most of those I'm not even a member of anymore just because the noise uh, is way too distracting. But one thing that I have found uh, that have, has really become important in my life is I've, I've used social media to seek out voices that I really admire and people that I maybe a couple of years ago would never have had the opportunity to approach and say, hey, um, you know, I'd like to get to know you better because they live in another country or, or they're you know, maybe perceived to be super successful and beyond my reach. But social media has given me the opportunity to say, hey, I, I like what you're doing. I, I would love to talk to you. And out of that has actually come some really exciting and beautiful private conversations between five or six people that have continued on for years and years. Um, I find a lot of value in forming small tribes and multiple small tribes that all serve different purposes and surrounding myself with those people when I need those certain things. I think those are really beautiful and I think the people that take the time to kind of curate those types of groups um, and the, you know, on, a, on Facebook a group is something different than what I'm talking about, but forming yourself a tribe for a specific purpose or a topic has really become one of the most beautiful things about social media in my opinion. There are, you know, ginormous groups made up of thousands and tens of thousands of people who have conversations all day long, but I do find that it is too difficult sometimes to just find the find the relationships within the noise. I like that uh, approach. That's great. I want to bring up a particular post you wrote for Inman, and you're you're heavily involved in Inman. I know that you've. Um, been an ambassador now for a number of events, and uh, that's how you and I met at, at, at an event, uh, in an event. And the, you're one of my favorite posts you wrote for them, because I do a lot of training myself on a much smaller level than you do, but uh, you know here in the Arizona area. And you talked about mirrors and lifeboats. So I don't want mm -hmm. you to. I, I know I'm putting you on the spot and asking you to <laughs> kind of recap something, but could you kind of just give the audience, you know, kind of the essence of what you were talking about there? Yeah. Mirrors and lifeboats. Um, also, you know, I loved that you brought this up because also still one of maybe my most real and heartfelt pieces of content that I've ever written. I had a conversation once with somebody, so back up a little bit. Three years ago, I was at a bar camp and I did a session called How Not to Be a Douchebag on Social Media. And, you know, it was funny and it was engaging, but at the end of it, um, I looked back on the content that I had delivered and I realized that I had displayed all these things people are doing wrong. And I was looking at, you know, the way that I had presented it and I ended up feeling a little bit badly because I realized I wasn't telling anybody how they could actually do it right. And out of that, over a period of time with conversations with other people, really came up this, with this idea of mirrors and lifeboats and, and the way that we teach people. And so essentially the article was this, you know, we spend a lot of time in our lives and in our education and in our marriages and our friendships and whatever with our employees showing people themselves in the mirror. Um, we hold a mirror up to people all the time and we say, look at what you are, you're doing this wrong. Um, and we shine a mirror in their face and try and show them all the things that they aren't or that they could be or that, they're, um, that they need to improve at. And 
And we don't like that when that happens to us in our life. You know, if somebody was to put a mirror in front of us, we would all be very quick to say, oh, I'm, I don't like this about myself and I'm doing this wrong. But as educators and as people and friends and employers, we have an obligation to not just use the mirror because the mirror can be in a very effective uh, teaching technique. Uh, showing people what they're doing wrong, you know, how not to be a douchebag in social media can be effective. But we have to go the next step. We've got to give them a lifeboat. So we have to say, look, you know, see the problem, but then also here's a solution. Here's a way to get out of the situation you're in. Here's a way to improve or move forward. And so out of that came that piece of content where I said, you know, we, we have an obligation to teach using both a mirror and a lifeboat. And if we just show the mirror, um, you know, we can, we can put ourselves in a position where we're just shaming or we're just... Um, you know, pointing out the problem, we're not actually giving them a solution. So that's where the lifeboat comes in. And um, yeah, I mean, I love that that resonated with you because that really is the. It's just it was my heart. It was this is how I feel, and it's a reminder for me daily that um, it's easy to show the mirror. It's easy to just point that out and say this is, you know, this is what you do wrong. It's a lot harder to bring the lifeboat. Um, it requires us to actually care and take the next step and provide accountability and uh, all of that is is an important part of education I think also an important part of leadership right um, you, you're a leader at your company and I think that uh, if more leaders could embrace that as well uh, it's going to do a, a lot of great things for their organizations so uh, it's a great piece I think anyone who's listening to the podcast should go to Inman and just go to Inman.com and type in lifeboats I'm sure it's going to pop right up so <laughs> I've had you here the half hour, I promise you, and I know you've got a busy day today. So I want to finish up with the, the same question I've asked every previous guest, and that's what's what's one piece of advice you would give a new agent just getting started in the business? Oh, so many, but if I had one piece of advice, I think it would be don't be afraid to try. Just don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. That is where our, our most valuable lessons come from is making mistakes. Um, there's there's absolutely no mistake that you can't learn from and I think so many of us focus on doing what everybody else is doing and being afraid to be different or try something different and you know I, I think if I had been afraid to move to another country or move to another country after that or um, you know try something new I, I definitely wouldn't be where I am and a lot of us probably in our lives can look back and say, gosh, if, I'd, if I hadn't done that, maybe I'd be better off. But I think life brings us all of those things for a reason and takes us through those lessons for a reason. So don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to fall on your face and make mistakes and, and admit you don't know. Um, you know don't be afraid to, to care. I think that's probably the, the gist of it. Valerie, if somebody wants to reach out to you and, and talk to you further about some of these topics or just get in touch, what's the best way? Facebook is absolutely the best way. If you um, search ValerieGarcia.ceo on uh, Facebook, you will find me. Um, I'm also on Twitter at ValerieGarcia1. Thank you so much for taking some time this morning to talk to us. Uh, like, like I said, I as I kind of did some research and found out some of these things you had done, it's like, your close friends know, but a lot of people don't know the real Valerie Garcia. So thanks for sharing that with us today. Thanks so much, Bill. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to The Real Estate Sessions with Bill Rissa of Chicago Title, Arizona. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes 
and tell your friends about the Real Estate Sessions as new episodes are published weekly.